Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, October 23rd. The war between Israel and Hamas has pulled our focus away from the war between Russia and Ukraine, a conflict that's very much still ongoing. We get the latest on the situation now in its 20th month from Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute. Next, it's our weekly chat with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. This time out, we're focusing on menopause, the struggles women face during this challenging time, and the groundbreaking treatment of hormone therapy that's now available to help tackle the issue. And the Calgary Flames and YMCA Calgary want to get kids moving and motivated to stay physically active. We'll talk about the impact and continuing legacy of the Flames YMCA Grade 6 program. 7.05 on your Monday morning and the world is focused right now on the war between Israel and Hamas now into 17 days in uh, but it's important not to lose sight of the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Joining us to discuss the latest is Marcus Kolga founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, uh, their Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Good morning to you Marcus. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Thank you. I want to ask you about the implications of, of kind of, and it sounds horrible when I use it like this, the distraction that's going on between Israel and Hamas. But what I'm getting at is it's human nature to, to look yeah. at the newest and latest happening. Uh, but are we losing sight in what's happening in Russia and Ukraine? And could President Putin actually use this to his advantage? Well, look, you're, you're absolutely right, Andy. I mean, it, it, it has proven to be a bit of a distraction. It's only natural. I mean, what's happening in Israel right now is is horrific, and uh, and our attention does need to be there. But uh, but you're also right that the war in in Ukraine does uh, continue to uh, to grind along, and um, you know Vladimir Putin uh, is actually quite happy with this distraction. Um, it's it's taken attention, Western attention, away from supporting Ukraine. Um, there are even now debates about uh, whether uh, you know we should continue supporting Ukraine and whether that that uh, support should be more focused on on Israel. So um, this is uh, certainly a, a, a positive thing for, for Vladimir Putin. And, and Russian state media has also been sort of egging that on. Uh, they, they haven't uh, condemned Hamas's attack on Israel and have actually, on Russian state media, uh, independent voices, or quote-unquote independent voices, if you can call them that, on Russian state media are actually cheerleading Hamas. Um, so, yeah, the situation uh, is, is quite grim, and uh, and hopefully the Western world will start uh, re- also focusing on what's happening uh, in Ukraine right now. Marcus, on that note, how are Ukrainian forces responding to the ongoing Russian attacks? Well, uh, there's, there seems to be a, a new offensive on the Russian side that's opened up on in eastern Ukraine uh, around the uh, town of uh, Abivka. Um, over the past uh, two or three weeks, uh, the Russian forces have been throwing all sorts of uh, armored tanks uh, into battle there. Um, thousands of, of troops have been uh, pushed into that region to try and, uh, and, and get the, uh, slow down Ukrainian progress in the south to force them to sort of focus on defending that region. But you, from all accounts, uh, Ukrainian troops uh, in the east have done uh, an incredible job of defending that area. There are reports that 90% of Russian troops and uh, hardware that's being committed to that offensive there has been destroyed. Uh, just over one day last week, uh, 68 Russian tanks were destroyed on the battlefield. So, um, so Ukrainian troops are uh, finding some success there, and in the south as well with the counteroffensive, which you know has. 
Marcus, you there? Marcus, oh, Marcus Cole dropped guy. out. Aging Marcus Cole guy. We'll get Renee we'll to, if we can to get, get him back on the get line back for us. On, yeah, if you can help us out with that. I wanted to ask him about the fact that I was kind of shocked when you look at it. And yes, our attention does. Hey, look, a squirrel. And I'm trying not to make light, but the newest gets our attention. That's how it works. Of course. But now 20 months into this conflict. Which, and, which nobody is, thought would last this mind long. Blowing. Yeah. We're actually going into our second round of winter conflict yes, in the region. Yes, yes, you're right. And I'm wondering if it's if it's a kind of a benefit that, the, for example, the Ukrainian people in forces have had the opportunity to uh, go through winter. Are you there, Marcus? Yes, Perfect. sorry, I don't know what that was. Maybe it was the Russian. It could be, it could be a <laughs> Russian hackers. Um, we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll just uh, you know, start with a with new path here, Marcus. And that is, I was uh, saying to Sue, well, we, we lost you for a second there, that A, 20 months in, nobody predicted that. Nobody had that on their bingo card whatsoever. Um, but as we enter into a second winter in this conflict, is that detrimental to the Ukrainian forces and people because, you know, the fatigue and the cold weather? Or is it a benefit this time out because they have previous experience, uh, winter conflict from last year? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I, I think that uh, the Ukrainian people are, are today more prepared than they were last winter. Uh, recall last uh, winter as well, or ahead of it in the fall, um, there was real concerns about uh, Europeans freezing. There were uh, we expected gas shortages and such, and, and we're not uh, hearing anything about that uh, this year. So, uh, you know, I think that the uh, Ukrainians are well prepared uh, for this winter. I think they're, the Ukrainian forces are prepared to uh, defend against any new um, uh, Russian attacks. Uh, and there will be new, new weapons coming. There are uh, longer-range uh, missiles that are being delivered, more armor. There's, there's the potential delivery of, of F-16 fighter jets, which would be a real boon uh, and, and uh, will boost Ukraine's uh, uh, chances of, of counter, that increasing that or intensifying the counteroffensive uh, in, the, in uh, the next spring. And so, um, you know, like I said, I think Ukraine's in good shape. But one thing that we do need to keep an eye on is Russia's war of terror on, on Ukraine. Uh, Russia can, is, is constantly using Iranian-built terror drones. Um, it's uh, launching missiles into civilian areas, uh, uh, targeting apartment buildings. Just this weekend, six people died when a postal depot, uh, without any sort of uh, military significance, um, was targeted and destroyed by Russian forces. So missiles continue to rain down on Ukraine. That's not something that they may be entirely prepared for, other than the uh, uh, anti-missile, uh, anti anti-aircraft systems that have been uh, installed. But uh, that will continue, and that will continue to be a pr problem throughout the winter for, for the Ukrainian people. And Marcus, on that note, is Russia continuing to get or is getting more support from Iran, for example, both military and economically? Well, yeah, unfortunately. I mean, these are this is the new axis of evil that's emerging. Uh, Iran has been supplying, um, again, those terror weapons uh, to Russia. Uh, it's running, it has been running out of of missiles and and drones so it has turned to iran and iran has become a major supplier of that equipment they're also getting uh, russia is also getting some of this these uh, the ammunition artillery and such from from uh, north korea um and i think the western world what we really do need do need to focus on is iran's role in all of this of course iran uh, is playing a significant role in the conflict uh, in Israel uh, right now. And so I think that, uh, you know, we need to come together and figure out a way to to end uh, Iran's ability to supply terrorists, Hamas terrorists and Russia with those 
those terror drones uh, and perhaps, you know, target some of these, whether it's with economic sanctions or uh, with, with kinetic warfare to, to terminate that ability, because this is one source uh, of, uh, of, of significant terror uh, and equipment for both of those, uh, both of those groups. On the topic of uh, President, uh, you know, uh, President Vladimir Putin, I'm understanding that the election uh, is in uh, the spring of 2024 in Russia. Like that matters. As far as I'm concerned, you know, he can get done what he wants. Yeah. But having said that, that's if things are, are moving along smoothly. What is the support like uh, among the inner circle, among those with influence and power in Russia when it comes to Vladimir Putin today? Yeah, well, let's let's put election in quotation marks. Uh, you know that <laughs> Russia really hasn't had a, a free election for for nearly well now coming on uh, 24 years. Um, support for 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 Vladimir Putin in the war uh, remains relatively strong. Um, I wouldn't say support. I, I think most Russians are apathetic uh, to the war. They they don't care really one way or the other. Uh, but and let's not forget, uh, Vladimir Putin controls uh, pretty much all media that uh, Russians consume. So um, he's able to shape the reality uh, of of what uh, what Russians are seeing and the reality that they're in many ways experiencing. And so uh, he's able to provide, you know, pump in disinformation, false news about the war, uh, and uh, boost his own. Uh, polling numbers through that by controlling the uh, controlling the media and and when it comes to that election um, we know that those the outcome is pretty much predetermined it's probably predetermined right now uh, he'll probably get somewhere in the range of eighty uh, percent support uh, and will continue on uh, and let's not forget that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, also changed the constitution uh, Russia's constitution just a few years ago. Um, removing any sort of term limits for for his uh, his position, mm-hmm. and so it's very likely that uh, Vladimir Putin will win this election and will continue winning elections mm-hmm. until uh, he one day is unable to because of you know whether he dies or decides to leave. So he's he's going to be around for quite some time. As always, thank you so much for joining us, Marcus. Appreciate your time. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and senior fellow at the McDonnell-Laurier Institute Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests. At 7.18, I'm having a hot flash just thinking about the topic. <laughs> Menopause, half the population suffers from it, yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of help or information for us out there. With some of that, hopefully some information and maybe some guidance too, we're joined this morning by our own Dr. J, Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Hi, Dr. J. Good morning. I hear this a lot, and I tend to believe it. If menopause was something men actually went through, we'd have a lot more help available to us. But it doesn't <laughs> seem we do. Like, have we evolved at all in terms of, of what information and help is available for women suffering through menopause? Yes. You know, from, a, from a, a doc who does hormonal work, this is so black and white at times, but yet we struggle, struggle, struggle. Lead article in our Canadian Medical Journal uh, last week was the management of menopause, the risk and benefits of treating symptoms. Lead article, cover page. We are struggling with this even medically. And why? Because this is worried that we're going to do harm, that there's a risk attached to our treating menopause. And if we just let nature go, 
yes, everyone would suffer, life would not be great, but you get over it and life goes on. Whereas we have incredibly effective tools in the, in the uh, it's all about hormones. If we replace hormones, we do extremely well. And with a quoted rate of up to 80 to 90% improved quality of life for flushing, for uh, mental symptoms, for physical symptoms, for sleep disturbance, for mood, across the board, 80 to 90% efficacy rates, but yet we struggle and we don't deploy them. So, yes, we've come a long way, but yet we're still, we haven't come a long way at all. It's interesting to me, and I mean, I, uh, in case you're unaware, I'm a man, and I uh, have never <laughs> experienced this, um, but... You say black and white. However, from the women in my life and that I know, what's interesting to me about menopause is it's not like, for example, hey, I, I, I just turned 50, Dr. J, and I need a shingle shot because it's 50. But it seems like it varies wildly oh, how, yeah. how women can start yeah. a lot younger or older and how some it's incredibly severe to others. It's mild. It's yeah. very much a different animal, isn't it? Very much. So the average age of menopause is age 51. But there is a small percentage of women, it'll be as early as 40. There's a premenopausal. What you're speaking to is this preamble into menopause. So some women are symptomatic for, you know, up to 10 years before actual menopause. And then the symptoms of menopause can go on for two, five, seven, up to even 10 years has been reported. So, yes, you have this huge window of time. But classically, it's fairly tight everything's good everything's good periods start getting wonky then they're gone for a year you're absolutely menopausal and that's when all the symptoms come generally last around two years maybe a few more and then it's sort of you're okay <laughs> so that's the classic story but yeah there's a lot of variability within that but the treatment options again are quite clear uh, and that's where that black and white where i make that uh, comment black and white we are there medically we are there scientifically but yet there is this gray huge gray zone despite all our clarity Andy nearly fell off his chair. Every woman out there is nodding her head. Yeah, it, 10, 20 years. That's not terribly shocking. And it is actually, I would say, the average. Uh, so what, what treatment is there? I mean, are we talking hormone replacement therapy? And, and what's the latest on that? Bioidentical hormones? I mean, there's a lot of terms being thrown around. What, what do we do? Yeah, so the bioidentical term is really not a medical term. That sort of came up uh, from Hollywood and was uh, definitely got magnified and embellished. This is all about estrogen for the most part. Um, if When you go into menopause, estrogen drops to very low levels, if to zero, literally. Uh, and that's where all the symptoms come from. If we give back estrogen... Uh, we do well now there are variations on the theme we if you have an intact uterus as in you have not had a hysterectomy we have to protect the uterus so we have to add a secondary hormone progesterone in this comes in pill form gel form uh, patch form um, there's a variety of options we have out there. So a lot of variations of how we might deliver it. And some of these are, are extremely safe, particularly if the strongest message I have out there, in a, in a woman around the age of 51 when menopause is at its most symptomatic, the risk of hormones is extremely low. All the studies that caused this trouble were in women who are well uh, older than 60. So why don't, family doctors, why don't family doctors know that, Dr. J.? They know it, but we're we're still scared of it, and that's the crazy part about this. That medically, again, I you know the article I'm, I reference right off the top, very very clear guidelines, very like do not 
there's no worry if a woman is healthy and her risk is low we should absolutely be de- deploying this but yet there's that emotion it's an emotional thing and that's the problem and it's emotional on the patient side and still i think some dogs get a little emotional mm-hmm. about i don't want to do something that my patient's going to have a bad outcome and then it was because of me and what i did and if i do nothing they suffer but nothing bad happens right and that's the problem so yes <laughs> again I, I would hope that more and more docs will deploy, especially in that woman around the age 50, because it is so safe right around that period of time. All right. Look at the, I've got a text that came in, and again, this is not from me. This is from the texter. What does he mean by protecting the uterus? That one comes in from Connie. So uh, unopposed estrogen, so-called, if you just use estrogen year after year after year, uh, the lining of the uterus can get too thick, can be a precancer, can become an endometrial cancer, so the lining cancer. So if we use a secondary hormone progesterone, we actually protect from effect, and that does not happen at all. So it's a very simple maneuver that is incredibly uh, protective. And again, that's really the on. If, if somebody's had a hysterectomy, we can use estrogen alone and not have to worry about that. So it's all about that can- potential cancer risk and how do we mitigate that risk. We talk about it a lot being your own advocate. So I think women, you know, if, you're, if your family doctor is hesitant and won't, we need to look into some of these women's clinics that are available wherever you live. But we, I know we have at least one that's getting a lot of attention in Calgary right now. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Um, so yes, uh, anybody doing women's health um, can do it. Anybody doing hormonal work, I see a lot of women um, who are, are uh, you know, referred from my own uh, peers, my own colleagues, family practice uh, docs, uh, because they're a little bit leery to do it. Maybe there's a, a twist or a turn to the story. So anybody who's working in the hormonal world, who who knows their stuff and um, can absolutely do this. Thank you so much. Uh, very much, not just a timely topic, but an, for the test of time topic. Thanks so much, Dr. J. Have a great Monday. Okay, you betcha. And it's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Eight seventeen. Want to encourage your grade six student to move now and for life? And I don't mean pack up their things and leave. I mean physically move and get physically active. Well, the Calgary Flames Grade Six YMCA membership program is back. And it is a great way to get your kids active. Joining us with details is Tannis Cochran, Chief Operating Officer for YMCA Calgary. Good morning to you, Tannis. Good morning. Well, tell us about this program. I know that my kids have taken advantage of it in the past. Sue's kids have taken advantage of it. But some people may not have heard about this. What, what's this all about? So thanks to our great partnership with the Calgary Flames Foundation, every student in grade six is eligible for a free YMCA membership. It actually starts August 1st uh, and runs right through until August 31st at the end of their grade six year. That's awesome. Tannis, did they only able to do a couple of things or is it you can go at any Y and do whatever the heck you want? You can go to any Y and participate in any activity. It's a full YMCA membership, so access to swimming pools, gymnasium, strength and conditioning floor, anything that you would like to do. On top of that, we also have some structured activities specific to our grade 6 students. So we do Flames Fridays. They have opportunities to participate in our youth rooms. There might be badminton, basketball tournaments. Once a month, they'll head off to another YMCA facility and take part in some special events. 
So there's really quite a wide variety of structured and unstructured opportunities for them. And let's talk about the, the history of it and, and how it has been received over the years and some of the feedback, because I know this is not a brand new program. How has feedback been over the years, Tannis? Extremely positive. Obviously, um, you know, we had over 32,000 grade six students, <clears throat> excuse me, over the 10 years participate in the membership, but it's more than just participation. We um, do annual evaluation. We've done some long-term research, thanks to the Flames Foundation as well, and um, opportunity to really hear from the, the children and their parents that their kids have made new friends. Uh, their confidence has grown. They're willing to try new things, um, and, and that's really important to us. It is about making healthy choices, taking healthy risks, and really starting down that path of making lifelong choices that are healthy and positive. And that's really important. Yeah, my daughter loved the, the Flames Friday, as you mentioned, and she and her school friends get together. It gives them a safe place, fun place to go and, and gather and hang out. And then there's so many other benefits from it as well. And I know, obviously, you mentioned it, but the Calgary Flames Foundation, we're lucky to have an NHL team in our city. But the Flames Foundation, they do a ton. And you wouldn't really be able to run a program like this without them, would you? Absolutely. So thankful to the Calgary Flames Foundation. We're celebrating our 10th year and um, really exciting that in the course of that 10 years and, and the commitment they've made going forward, over $3 million that they have put into the community just with this YMCA program. And I know they do countless other uh, amazing work in the community as well. All right, Tannis, uh, let's get down to it because maybe I have a grade six student. Maybe this is brand new to me or maybe I knew about this but just didn't get around to it yet. How do we sign our kids up to get them involved? You know what? Just come into any YMCA facility. Bring some sort of identification that shows you're in grade six. can be a school card if you have that. can be a report card. Really anything at all that identifies you as a grade six student and you'll get signed up for your membership and have some cool swag as well awesome it's a brilliant idea thanks so much for telling us about it tanis thanks and have a great day appreciate your time thanks very much thanks for having me tanis cochran chief operating officer of ymca calgary